0: Acts chapter 11 verses 17 through 30. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? When they heard these things, they fell silent. And they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. Living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. May God bless the reading of his word. Please be seated.
1: Good evening, thanks for joining us tonight. My name is Jason, staff pastor here at Grace Downtown. And in just a moment, we're going to jump into this narrative in acts that Pastor Jeff just read for us. But before we get there, I wanna tell you a little bit about what we're doing this month. Uh, This is a month where we traditionally here at Grace talk about the vision that God has called us to as a church. Uh, We do that for a couple of reasons. First, it's good to make sure that we're doing that each year talking about who we are and what we're about. As people move to town and move away and there's coming and going. Uh, The reason we do it in August is because this is the time when most likely people are coming to town um, and joining churches and we're meeting new people and so we want to refocus on what we are all about for the new people but also uh, for the church as we launch into the new school year. So that's what we're doing this month. I want to give you just a preview of where we're headed tonight and the next couple of weeks. Last week we celebrated our 10th anniversary as a church um, and that was a great look back at what God has done, his faithfulness to us. It was a look at what We hope he does among us today, and a little bit of look to the future. We're going to continue looking more and more to the future as we go through these sermons. So tonight, we're talking about this narrative in Acts chapter 11, and we're answering the question, who is Iowa City? Next week, we're talking about how God is calling some from every tribe, tongue, nation, and people to himself. And on the 27th, we are going to talk about what it means to be planted And there's two things we mean by that. What does it mean to be a planted person that is here long-term, you know, three years plus here in Iowa City? And also, what does it mean to be a planted church? We've talked about being a separate church. We're right now one church in two locations with our friends in North Liberty, but we're seeking God for when he would have us go off on our own and be a planted church so we're going to talk about what what are we going to do as a church for people that are here long term and also we're going to talk about here's the benchmarks that we need to hit in order for us to be a planted church we also want to not just talk at you we want to provide opportunities for you to connect so the next three weeks there are opportunities to do that Tonight we're going to do a prayer walk immediately after the service where we're all going to go and pray around Iowa City and pray for the new students and new faculty that are moving to town. We're going to do that right after the service. I'll give you some instructions for that at the end of the night. Next week after the service we are going to have a parents meeting for anybody with kids. We're going to talk about where we're headed this school year with our children's ministry. And then on August 27th, right after the service, we want to invite everyone that has been a part of Grace Downtown for less than a year to stick around after service, and the elders are just going to make ourselves available so you can ask us questions about grace. So those are some ways to get connected over the next three weeks. Would you pray with me, and we'll jump into our text tonight. Heavenly Father, thank you that we have already heard from you. Thank you that we have been encouraged as we sang of your greatness, as we heard one another sing of your greatness, as we remember and focus on grace unmeasured and love untold. Thank you, Jesus, for pouring out that grace and mercy on us. Thank you for the reminder in our welcome tonight that Christ welcomes us. He welcomes sinners. Jesus, thank you for welcoming us. Thank you for your presence here tonight. And we pray that we would hear from you. God, I pray that tonight would not just be the words of man, but that we would really hear from the Lord. God, speak to each man, woman, and child here. Speak to them as if you were having a one-on-one conversation with them tonight. Something that I'm not capable of, but Spirit, we trust that you can do just that. And we would ask you to do it tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. When we read these stories, these narratives in the book of Acts, which we're doing the next, uh, we did last week, and we're doing the next three weeks, one thing that we notice in each of these stories is that they are bound to a particular place. You hear in each of these narratives, the city, the location, the person's home, the neighborhood, that these things are taking place. They're taking place in a very real, concrete Physical world. And it's history that we're reading about the beginnings of the early first century church after Jesus ascended to be with the Father and sent the Holy Spirit to be with the church. We are reading about what the church looked like in a particular time and place. This makes the Bible different and unique from other religious texts. Other religious texts were written by men who had dreams about things going on in a heavenly reality. Whereas the Bible is talking about things that happen here on earth with men and women and children just like us. Then we even more miraculously have a savior, a God that came in the flesh, that walked among those that he created. And then the Bible asks us to live out our faith in the flesh Not just in our minds, not just in our ideas, not just in a building for an hour each week on Sunday evenings or Sunday mornings or whenever we attend church, but it asks us to live out our faith in the flesh, because God came in the flesh, because he wrote us a book about people in the flesh. Tonight's narrative is no different, and it's going to help us answer the question, who is Iowa City? We need to answer this question because this is where our church is. It's in Iowa City. It's where many of us are planted, whether we live here, work here, play here, educated here, educate others here. This is the place, the grounded reality where God has asked us to live out our faith. It's also the reason that we want to plant a church that goes off on its own Because we think that we can reach Iowa City and we want to reach Iowa City in unique ways that it needs to be reached. And just like a missionary, when they go overseas, they learn all about their people group. They go to language school. They learn the history of that people. They go and live among the people and shop among the people and get to know the people that they're trying to reach. We need to know who our people are. God has called us to be A people that live out their faith in the flesh here in Iowa City. So who is Iowa City and who are the people that we're trying to reach? We'll get back to that in just a moment. As with all of these sermons, we're going to spend a little bit of time in the scripture taking a look at what God's word has to say. And then we're going to spend longer than normal with application as we look at the vision in which God has called us to. So open your Bibles with me to Acts 11, if you haven't already. Some of the verses will be up here on the screen. We're going to walk through this kind of one step at a time. So, this is Peter speaking in verse 17 of Acts 11. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? This is Peter saying the gospel is starting to go to Gentiles. It's not just Jews, it's not just people from Jerusalem, it's spreading out to the Gentiles. And Peter is stating here, I decided that this is from God, and I'm not going to stand in the way of what God is trying to do. He's taken his stand on the gospel going to the Gentiles. He didn't want to get in God's way. He realized that God was doing something that was bigger than him, was bigger than his ethnicity and his religious background, and he says, I didn't want to get in the way. Before we move on, let's not Miss the profound nature of his statement that he is just going to stand back and let God do what it seems like God is already doing. This is incredible for a couple of different reasons, at least. I'll just stick to two. The first one is that this is very much against our human nature. And when I read scripture, I think it's been against our human nature from the very beginning to stand back and let God do what he is trying to do. Far too often we see God at work and we think, oh, well maybe I can use this, maybe I can move this forward, I'm sure God needs my help with this. And often, even out of a good heart and even with the right motives in mind, we can actually get in the way of something that God is doing. So I think this is part of our human nature. The second reason that this is miraculous, really, that Peter says, I'm not going to stand in God's way, is that the gospel going to the Gentiles, even though it shouldn't have been a surprise because God had been talking to his people about it for generations and for centuries, this was a scandalous thing that was taking place. And as you read the book of Acts, and as you read the book of Galatians, and as you read the New Testament, and as you see Jesus interact with people, you see that the gospel going to Gentiles was a scandalous thing that not all Jews were super excited about. But Peter says, this thing is from the Lord, and I'm not going to stand in his way. Verse 18. When they heard these things, they fell silent and they glorified God saying, then to the Gentiles, also God has granted repentance that leads to life. First, we see here that God is glorified as he grants repentance to people outside of this one people group or this one ethnicity or this one religious background. They're saying this is actually giving more glory to God. This was meaningful because the Jews They felt like their lives were all about the glory of God, the holiness of God. And so these people, this church in the first century is saying this actually glorifies God that the Gentiles are coming to faith. Note also here that it says also God has granted repentance. The church and the believers here are recognizing something. They're recognizing that God is the one who grants repentance. Repentance is given by God. It's not something that we earn. It's not something that we manipulate things to get the right way. It's not something that we can try to obey every letter of the law in order to gain repentance. It is granted by God. This is a significant time in scripture and in the history of Christianity. Verse 19. Now, those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch speaking the word to no one except Jews. So first, the word scattered. People were being scattered. They were being scattered for three different reasons. One, persecution. Christians were being persecuted. They were being persecuted by the Roman Empire. They were being persecuted all over the known world. And so they were having to scatter out and go off to remote areas so, the church was scattering because they were being persecuted. We see that throughout the New Testament and these narratives in the book of Acts. The second reason that they were scattered is because of globalization that was happening on a massive scale. Historian Rodney Stark points out that Christianity and Jesus coming and the Spirit falling at Pentecost happened at the precise moment in history where the gospel could spread the fastest. Because the Romans, one of the things they were famous for and one of the lasting legacies of the Roman Empire was the Roman road system that made it easier to come and go and really began a massive globalization where now technology and information and religion and Christianity and the ways of Jesus could spread very quickly. So this church is scattering because of globalization. The third reason that they are scattered is because of God's plan and God's providence. We'll talk more about this the entire sermon next week, but it was God's plan and providence that he would call a people to himself from every tribe, tongue, nation, and people. So the people are scattered, but at the end of verse 19, it says, but they had only spoken the word to Jews. So the church is scattering by, because of persecution and globalization and the will of God, but they're just sharing the good news with Jews. So that kind of sets the stage of what's going on. Verse 20. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. There's many fascinating things in this verse. I'm going to go through this very quickly but it's important that we catch some of these facts about what's being said here. First, we need to know a little something about Antioch. Antioch is mentioned a couple times here. That's where this is uh, the the setting of what's going on in this narrative. Antioch was a city of 500,000 people, 500,000 people in the first century. It was also one of the most diverse cities in the entire known world. There were Greeks, Jews, Romans, and even some from the Orient that were coming together and doing commerce and worshipping together, trading together, and coming and living in the same city. The first century historian Josephus said that this was the third great city of the empire. Rome, Alexandria, Antioch. This was a massively diverse and influential community. The next thing we notice is men of Cyprus and Cyrene. That may not mean anything to you, but as we study it, Cyrene is in Africa and Cyprus is in the Mediterranean Sea. So there's believers that are outside of Jerusalem, outside of where Jews were known to be, in Africa and the Mediterranean Sea, who are now coming to Antioch, and they're spreading the gospel to the Hellenists. Now, the Hellenists, it can mean a number of different things, but basically it is either people that are Greek by birth or Greek by culture. So it's either people that are Greek by their birth, or they have adopted the Greek culture, and maybe they're Jewish or maybe they're from the Orient, but they are living as a Greek. Okay, so just giving you a lot of facts, a lot of history. Here's what's going on. To this point, the church is scattered, but primarily the known church is only speaking to Jews about the good news. But now there are men from Africa and there are men from the Mediterranean Sea coming to Antioch and teaching non Jews, or at least those that have adopted the Greek culture, the gospel the church and the Jews and the apostles and the disciples have got to be watching this going on and thinking, what in the world is going on? So we start out with Peter saying, I see this happening with the Gentiles, but I'm just going to let it happen. I'm going to let a good thing keep going. Then they see Gentiles preaching the gospel to Gentiles in this incredibly diverse community. The gospel is spreading faster than they can contain it. The gospel is spreading faster than they can put a label on it. The gospel is spreading faster than they can even figure out what's going on. They're still trying to figure out how they're going to take care of the kids and where they're going to park all the camels and what they're going to do with all these people. I don't know if they rode camels, but just an assumption. I almost said cars and I knew that wasn't right. We have Gentiles preaching to Gentiles. We have the gospel in Africa in around the year 40 after the birth of Jesus. Unbelievable. Verse 21. We'll keep going. And the hand of the Lord was with them. And a great number who believe turned to the Lord. The Lord was with them. Before the apostles could sanction this before the church could have a council about it the Lord was with them and the Lord was doing a profound work I'm not gonna nerd out on the Greek text in verse 21 I'll let someone else do that for me a great pastor and author from the last century has a great quote about this sentence in the Greek and I'm just gonna put it up here it's too long of a quote Um, to put on a screen, but I'm going to put it up there because it's just a great, great quote. John Stott says, when we realize in the Greek text that the Lord is both the subject, object, goal, and source of evangelism, we have to repent of all of our self-centered, self-confident concepts of the Christian mission. This is what the church is confronting. This is what the church is seeing take place. They're seeing that they don't own the Lord and they get to grant it to other people. They are seeing the gospel move in a way that they can't even wrap their heads around. Because it's the Lord that is the subject, object, goal, and source of what is taking place in the world and in the church. Skip ahead to verse 23. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. Barnabas, when he came, he saw the grace of God. He was glad and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith and a great many people added to the Lord. Barnabas comes. He's glad at what he sees. He's continuing to just confirm this is a good thing that is taking place. Gentiles coming to faith. Verse 25 so barnabas went to tarsus to look for saul when they had found him he brought him to antioch for a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people and in antioch the disciples were first called christians so the first thing the church needed to be discipled all of a sudden all these people are coming to faith and they don't know the law They don't know the history. They don't know the book of Isaiah. They don't know anything about the Messiah coming. They have to be discipled. They have to be taught the ways of Jesus. They have to be taught the Old Testament so they can understand this new good news that they have received by the Spirit's power. And then lastly, we note this last phrase in verse 26. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. We had just a really sweet opportunity to host some friends of ours. Uh, Their names are Ben and Denise and um, Ben was in a small group with us 16 years ago when we first moved here to Iowa City and we've known him for a very long time, he and his wife and their two kids. uh, They live um, in the Middle East in the 1040 window where the most unreached people groups are in the whole world and they live in one of these communities and they were telling us the story of a young woman, I'm going to give her a pseudonym here and call her Abby, but Abby came to faith in a just miraculous circumstances, and she lived in the same neighborhood as our friends, Ben and Denise, and someone contacted them and said, this is a baby believer and she needs to be discipled. Would you guys be willing to meet with her? And this young woman has started trying to go to the local church, Uh, she is from a Muslim background, but in the community that they're in, there is a uh, 2,000-year-old church where people have been worshiping the Lord of native people. And they were saying that this young woman, Abby, is trying to figure out where she belongs. Because when she goes to the church with the native speakers, she's from a Muslim background and she doesn't understand their customs, their dress, their language, It's a different people group than her. But then when she meets with Ben and Denise, Denise is from Switzerland and Ben is from Ohio, she really doesn't know that's not her people group either. She's a follower of Jesus now, left her family and left her community in order to do so. She doesn't know where she belongs, except that she belongs to Jesus. This is the kind of thing that was happening rapidly in the first century church. And people could no longer go by Hellenist or Jew or Gentile or Roman or from the Orient. They needed to find a new name. So for the first time in scripture, we see that they adopt a new name, Christian, follower, learner of Jesus. Jesus. Something had to hold them together besides their family of origin, their people group of origin, their skin color, their language, their religious background, because now they were a follower of Jesus. As I talk about Antioch and what God is doing in the church in Antioch in the first century, perhaps you thought of the city that we are a part of here in Iowa City. I wanna do a quick um, poll. How many of you are from the Iowa City area originally? Raise your hand up high. Raise your hand up high. Coralville, Tiffin, North Liberty, Iowa City. Keep your hand up. Remarkable. My children make up four of the 12 of you (laughs) because they were born here. So many of us are not from here just like Antioch, okay? You can put your hands down. How many of you were born outside of the state of Iowa? Over half, myself included, okay? You can put your hands down. How many of you know, or you're pretty sure that you're not gonna live in Iowa City long-term? Confession time. About a fourth of us, okay? You can put your hands down. There's some similarities between Antioch and Iowa City and this church. This is a unique community to live in. This is a unique area to do church in. This is a unique area to fellowship with other believers. I grew up in the church and I remember two families moving away from the Kansas City area. And I remember it because it only happened twice that I can remember where I had friends move away. I don't think I need to have a show of hands for who's had friends move away from Iowa City. Let's not go there. This is going to turn into a time of lament. This is a unique area. We have seen the majority of our community group leaders move away to the next thing that God has called them to. Last week when I said who's been here from the beginning, less than a fourth of the congregation stood up. There are constantly people coming and going from different backgrounds, from different communities, from different countries, from different people groups, from different religious backgrounds that are coming here to Iowa City at a significant time in their life. We live in a diverse community, people coming from different backgrounds, And they will probably be sent out from here at some point, just like in Antioch. So we find ourselves being a church of three kinds of people, ministering to three kinds of people. I talked a little bit about this last week. I'm going to go a little bit more in depth into these three different people groups. These are very broad people groups, but I think we've failed to really see this Uh, in a nuanced way in the past, so I wanna spend some time on this. The first group of people is the planted people, the people that are here for three years or more. You may not think you're a planted person if you've only been here three years, but trust me, you are. So planted people are people that have been here at least three years. That includes townies, people that live here, reside here, don't know that they're leaving at a particular time. And let me say, this is a growing number of people. This is a growing community, Tiffin and North Liberty in particular are two of the fastest growing cities, not only in Iowa, but in the Midwest. More people are graduating from the University of Iowa and then staying here and finding great job opportunities. So we have townies, we have young professionals, we have medical professionals, 16,500 medical professionals that just work at the UIHC. We have undergrads, we have families, we have kids, we have faculty at the University of Iowa. We also have professional staff. That's non-teaching staff that just run the university. There are 9,614 full-time professional staff at the University of Iowa and 1,300 part-time staff. These are the planted people, the people that work here, the people that have families here and buy homes here and work in labs long term here. These are people that get leadership positions here. They're people that settle in this community. So we have planted people. Next, we have the goers, the people that come here and you meet them and they say, I'm here for two years. If all goes well, I'm here for two years. Those are the goers, the people that come here and know when they're leaving. And The unique thing about this church and this community is that this is not a minority or a small pocket of people. It actually is usually the majority of this church and of this community. This presents a difficulty, but also an opportunity. The difficulty is we're constantly saying goodbye to people. The opportunity is that we are constantly sending people We're constantly sending people out. And the question that we have to wrestle with as a church and as a group of believers here in Iowa City is, will we send people well? Will we prepare them for their next step to following Jesus? And will we uh, prepare them for their next stage of life? So many people come to Iowa City and go through transitions, either when they get here, while they're here, or when they leave. If I were to ask a show of hands, how many of you have gone through a significant life transition in the last two to three years, I think we would get 100% participation because of where we live. Last, and I wanna spend the longest amount of time on the people that come. The people who are yet to come to Iowa City and also the people who are yet to come to faith and begin to follow Jesus. And I don't want to put a damper on things, but if I could describe this group of people in one summary word, I would say lonely. Lonely. Before COVID, I met with the Dean of Students at the University of Iowa because she attends grades in North Liberty. And she told me that loneliness is now an epidemic in our culture. And then a year later, we sent everyone home to do school, church and work from their basement, and some people are still there. And people are incredibly lonely. They are superficially connected to people through Zoom and social media and their smartphone, but depth of in-person connection is just not a reality for most people, and these people are lost. They don't even know what they're missing in a lot of situations, and they don't know where to turn. Pastor and author John Tyson says that one of the biggest problems with our day and age is that we can have abundance of things without having relationships with people. We can have an abundance of things, more and more things, without having relationship with other people. Author John Mark Comer says that another problem in this same area is that we can have power without being virtuous people. So what we have is people that can work in their basement, and I'm not knocking working from home. There's wonderful things about it. Your own coffee, working in sweatpants. There's some great things about it. Some of you have found just a great situation doing it. But when people don't know Jesus and they work for a company and they've never met their coworkers, They can gain more and more power and influence in their job without actually having to interact with human beings. And they can order lots and lots of stuff that can be delivered to their house and they can have more and more abundance without having more and more love. This is the generation that we live in. Students often, most of them don't come to the University of Iowa looking for religion, a student ministry, a church, or even God. But they are looking for hope and connection through community. It's something that they need even if they can't articulate it. And the good news is we have the good news for them and we can be community for them as we be Christ's good news people in their life. Because here's another reality about our present day there's no other good news. There's no other good news. People are surrounded by bad news. And the real damaging thing is it looks like good news. They think, This is great. I get to work from home and gain power and buy these things and it gets delivered to my house and I don't have to interact with humans. This is great. And then Everybody's depressed, anxious, scared to leave the house. But we have good news of great joy that's for all people. And we have an opportunity to welcome people well into Iowa City, into our church, into our lives, and be God's good news people. The gospel is good news of great joy for all people. J.R. Tolkien has this amazing phrase that he invented. Uh, It's eucatastrophe. It's a combination of two words. A catastrophe, which is an event causing great and often sudden damage or suffering. A disaster. And then from a word maybe you're more familiar with, Eucharist. The communion service of the church. Which is from the Greek word for thanksgiving and good. So disastrous good is what this word means. Or a good disaster. What in the world could that possibly mean? How could you possibly understand how something devastating, how a disaster could turn into good news? Well, it sounds an awful lot like the good news of what Jesus has done for sinners like you and me. Because the worst thing that's ever happened and the worst news ever is that Jesus hung upon a tree. The very one, ones that he came to save, hung him on a tree. The perfect one, the only one that always loved people, always did the will of the Father, and the people he came to save hung him on a tree, and he died. God came in the flesh, like I talked about at the beginning, and then flesh, mankind, put him on a cross. A disaster. A catastrophe. An event causing great and sudden damage and suffering to Jesus and to all of his followers. The saddest thing that's ever happened in mankind. But it wasn't the end of the story. It was just the beginning because three days later he rose from the grave. And we give thanks because of the good work. Of what Jesus did on the cross, but also rising from the dead to give us life. We have good news. And any disaster in our life, or in our friends' life, or in our family's life, or in our world, any world event cannot knock Jesus off his throne and do not take away from the good news of what he has done for sinners like you and me. We have good news. I spoke a little bit about this last week, but I wanted to show a picture to show the, the vivid nature of what Ragbri is like. Did you know this many people participate in Ragbri? I thought it was a few crazy people on bikes. That's a lot of people. That's a lot of crazy people, 40,000 people. And this picture right here is not an exaggeration. Uh, So the route that the RAGBRAI riders took as they went through our community is they went from Tama, and then they went south under I-80 down to Oxford, and then they took the paved way that I talked about last week, all the way into Coralville. So I had to go over that same bridge as the riders were coming in, and I went over the bridge, and there were just people constantly coming under the bridge, bicycle after bicycle, chunks of people. Talk to uh, a guy I've gotten to know that wrote in Ragbri, he said that he couldn't listen to earbuds because he was afraid that he was gonna bump into someone and he had to focus the entire time. 500 miles of focusing so you don't crash and knock over everyone behind you. In packs of people like that, why don't we all sign up? We'll do it as a church next year. Sounds great, right? This is what flooded into our city. This is what Coralville had to prepare for. Coralville had to prepare for its population doubling for about 16 hours. 40,000 riders coming to town needing a place to sleep, needing a place to eat. There was a storm that went through and they all had to seek shelter in the middle of the night. Coralville prepared for a year to have these people come. Coralville paved the bike trail from Coralville to out to Oxford, so that they could come in on a trail instead of, you know, like taking their life in their hands, being on the highway or something. Coralville put up campgrounds all over town. Food trucks lined themselves up to be ready as the riders came to town. I talked to multiple people that were housing people even at the last minute because people started to see the forecast and started to see they needed somewhere to stay, and so. Coralville rallied together to welcome in these people coming for Ragbri. This is the kind of thing that's happening in our community year after year after year. We have an opportunity to pave the way for people to come into this community, to come into our lives, to come into our homes in a way where they can see the good news in action. So, how are we going to do it? How are we going to reach Iowa City? We're going to continue to get more and more specific on this, but I want to start with a, a few things here as we conclude tonight's sermon. The first one is we need to remember our union with Christ. Friends, the biggest obstacle to us sharing our faith is that we forget that it's good news for us. We need to remember our union with Christ and we need to remember that it is good news for us. We need to remember that our lives without Christ are a sudden disaster waiting to happen and that the good news we have is Christ. Listen to these words from 2 Corinthians chapter five. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God for our sake. He made him to be sin who knew no sin. Listen to this. So that in him, in Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. This does two things. It reminds us where our hope is. We're a new creation. We've been made new. He made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we may be the righteousness of God. This verse reminds us that it's good news for us. But it doesn't stop there. It says three things. It says we're ambassadors. We represent Christ. We now have the ministry of reconciliation. We say we've been reconciled to God and now you can be made reconciled to God. And the third one is in him we might become the righteousness of God. Righteousness means two things. It means holy and perfect and right and law-abiding, but it also means just. It also impacts the way we treat people. This verse says that we have good news for ourselves, but then in word and deed, we are God's good news people to a world full of bad news and loneliness and separation from God and people wallowing in shame. Before we can share the good news, friends, we have to remember that it's good news for us and we need to remind one another that it's good news. Next, we need to get trained. Once we remember that it's good news for us, we then need tools to know how to demonstrate and declare in word and deed the good news that we know. This is where we are going to partner with ministry network partners that are constantly pushing out and sharing their faith in our community. Folks like Navigators College Ministry, guys like Aaron Labe, who teaches or works behind the scenes with a tool called God Tools where you can share the gospel with someone in their native language. Folks like InterVarsity, they're doing great things with international students. These are the people we wanna partner with and we wanna say, teach us as a church to do what you're doing day in and day out, sharing your faith. So we need to get trained. Third, we need to share the good news in practice with all of Iowa City. You may remember last week, we talked about our practices as a church. How are we gonna live out our vision of making disciples? We're gonna worship God in rooms big and small. We'll talk more about that in a couple of weeks. We're gonna train disciples for taking their next step towards Jesus and in their next stage of life. And then we're gonna share the good news in practice with all of Iowa City. We've been intentional there with the words practice and all. We wanna practice our faith. We wanna practice the good news. We don't wanna just speak it or just show it. We wanna do both. We wanna practice the good news in real life grounded in the world that God has put us in through our practices. And we want to do it to all of Iowa City, not just people looking for a church. We want to share the good news with people that are far from Jesus so they can see the good news. We want to share the good news in word and deed. We want to be people of hospitality, welcoming people with the same welcome which Christ has welcomed us. We want to share the good news with those who are yet to come to Iowa City. We want to partner with people, like I mentioned earlier, that are welcoming people well into Iowa City. We have an opportunity to do this next week. You may have noticed that the street is blocked. It's because students are moving into these dorms that are right, we're right in the shadow of the dorms right here. Well, next week, as our service is starting, you're going to have an even harder time getting to church, so I'll just warn you right now because all of the freshman students are going to walk by this building at like 445 when you're theoretically supposed to be coming to church early. And then they're going to be streaming down this sidewalk and street and they're going to be going to a block party at the president's mansion at the end of this street. And they're going to be walking by this building. And we have an opportunity to serve them, be hospitable to them, and love them. So we're gonna partner with Navigators. Navigators is going to be handing out some surveys and having people fill out a spiritual interest survey and we're gonna give away popsicles. Our job is to stand and hand out popsicles and smile. I think we can handle that. We can be good news people because popsicles are good news, right? So we can share the good news one popsicle at a time. Then we're gonna partner with Navigators to reach out to those students, hopefully have opportunities to share faith, to disciple students, by just saying we're glad you're here at the University of Iowa. So we're going to be working on that as service is starting next week. We're going to be recruiting folks to do that. Please let us know if you want to help out with that. couple last things here. Next thing we need to do is we need to fall on grace. As we stumble and fall, which we will inevitably do, as individuals, as a church, we're going to stumble and fall The question is not will we stumble and fall, it's will we fall on grace? Will we walk in pride and shame or will we walk in freedom and victory because of the good news of what Jesus has done?